You know, it's Easter morning, and it's the biggest fear is like four other guys are wearing the same <laughs> new Costco shirt that your wife picked out for you. <laughs> so far, so good. Okay, I got I to gotta do something here. There we go. Okay. How'd you like that? So far, so good, huh? All right. Hey, I got, the, I got this huge compliment. I think it's a compliment this morning. Some family came from the mainland. She said, we looked you guys up online. You look much younger in person. <laughs> oh, what do you... I must look wretched and um, time to doctor up that. All right, if you have a Bible, could you turn to the book of John, chapter 20? We're going to talk about the doubting Thomas and the resurrection. And there's something for everyone in this sermon. Now, we go back, last month I was on the mainland in San Diego. And uh, I, I thought, let's go fishing with the guys. So it's me and my brother. He's got a grandson. And between us, we have two uh, nephews. So there's five guys. And we go out in San Diego. And uh, I wasn't feeling, I was feeling left out because before I even got my line in the water, my nephews are already catching fish, multiple fish. All I'm getting is ripped off. You know how the, they just nibble and tease. And then my brother and his, his grandson catch multiple fish. And at this point, this is my life. I'm thinking, you know, I'm not experiencing all I'm supposed to experience. And I think that's how the Doubting Thomas felt, that, man, the other guys saw this resurrected Christ. The other guys are so excited. They're jazzed. They're talking about it. And, uh, but he's feeling left out. Before we go any further, I'm just wondering if maybe you're here as a Christian. And maybe you're, you've been a Christian for a while. The question is, are you missing out? on all that Jesus Christ has for you. So we've got a very quick, simple uh, outline. First, uh, Thomas is the, the skeptic. Maybe you're here this morning as a skeptic. Then he had the surrender when he had a personal encounter, a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus Christ. And then he became one of the sent ones. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm going to send you guys. So the skeptic, uh, here's the background. And now if you don't have a Bible, it's on the uh, PowerPoint here. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so this is Sunday, he just rose from the dead that morning. When the doors were shut for fear of the Jews, that means they were locked, the, the apostles were scared stiff that they're going to be uh, taken away. So then Jesus came and stood in the midst of them. Now, he wanted them to get used to the fact that he can show up at any time. He's not limited by closed doors or locks. And, and also, he can hear everything when, when he wasn't there visibly. So he came and stood in the midst of them and said, peace be with you. Now, when he said this, he showed them his hands and feet where the nails were. Then the disciples were glad that they saw when they saw the Lord. There's a problem. Thomas wasn't there. Now, I'll, I'll warn you, I will get Thomas and Peter mixed up. I, I just something I do. But uh, Thomas wasn't there. Remember, there were 12 apostles. The, then uh, Judas Iscariot, Traded in Jesus. He betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Gosh, what would you trade in Jesus for? A relationship or something? But, so he died. He hung himself. Tim, Thomas wasn't there, so there's 10 guys that saw him, right? So he's not there. And, and then when they tell Thomas, man, did you miss it? Have you ever been surfing? And you show up the, the, the day late, 
And you go, it was so pumping yesterday. You missed it. This is a little bit more exciting. We saw the resurrected Jesus, and he gave us visible proof it was him, and you missed it. So they tell Thomas, and he says, look, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and I put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. Thomas is thinking, you guys have eaten mushrooms or something. You guys have funny stuff in your pipes because there's no way I was there. I saw what they did to him. I saw when that spear went in his heart and now comes water from the water sack around the heart and then blood from the heart. He was make. He was dead. He's not just, he was just a, a, a pulp of a guy and they carried him off and put him in a tomb. He's not alive. I won't believe it. So Thomas didn't understand that Jesus specializes in taking that which was dead and bringing it back to life. Let's not limit this to bodies. He will bring your body back. But how about a marriage that's just dead? Or how about a family that's just so dysfunctional? Or, or a business that's gone dry? Jesus specializes in taking that which was dead and bringing it back to life. So I think Doubting Thomas did us a favor. If not for the Doubting Thomas, we'd be tempted to think those apostles, they were duped. They're duped into believing some magic trick. It was just a scam and they fell for it. But Thomas is saying, I'm not falling for that. I'm not buying it. Because he, had, he was a skeptic. He had doubts. He had a personal one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus Christ and submitted to him, surrendered to him, and he went on to become a missionary and become martyred uh, there in India. So I love this. Wikipedia says this about a doubting Thomas is a skeptic who refuses to believe without direct personal experience. That's why he's done us a favor. He had this. It's a reference to the Apostle Thomas who refused to believe that the resurrected Christ had appeared don't you love Wikipedia? They're talking about a resurrected Christ like it's a fact. It is a fact. He appeared to the ten. Remember the Thomas wasn't there, Judas wasn't there. And until he can see and feel the wounds received by Jesus on the cross. Any skeptics here today? I'm hoping there are. I'm hoping there's people. This whole, I think it's hocus pocus. I think it's hocus pocus. You know, to, to see something like that, and then he comes back to life. So I asked my 15-year-old my granddaughter the other day. I'm not calling her a skeptic. I just said, hey, what would you do? And she said, what are you talking about? Well, what, if you were there on Golgotha, and you saw the crucifixion, you saw the spear go in his heart, you know he was dead, you saw them put him in the tomb and roll the stone. You saw the Roman soldiers, so no one's going to steal the body. And yet three days later, Jesus comes up and says, Hey, Aria, I'm alive. She went, Whoa, Grandpa's deep. But that's, that's what they're going through. They're going, I was there. I saw it. It wasn't some show. It was disgusting what they did to him. He was dead, and now I've seen him in the, in the flesh. So when a man predicts, that he's going to die. And then he tells how and when it will happen, but he adds that he will rise from the dead and even says when he's going to rise from the dead. Then he goes and does it. I think we need to listen to that guy, Jesus Christ. 
So I think it's okay to have doubts. If you're here and you have doubts, here's what you do with doubts, though. You take your doubts to Jesus Christ. I think it's a shame that we have very ungodly people in this world who feel it's their purpose in life to rob our young people of faith. And it's wrong to take your doubts to them. Be like John the Baptist. He had doubts. He goes, hey, Jesus, are you the one? Or are we looking? Did we mess up? And Jesus said, no, I'm the one. John the Baptist led the way by what to do with your doubts. You take them to Jesus Christ. Now, I believe the doubting Thomas has a bad rap. I don't think he's a doubting. I think he's the practical Thomas. Yeah, here's the deal. Jesus, in the book of Luke, he sends him out two by two. He says in, in Luke 10, he goes, I am sending you out as lambs among wolves, meaning wolves eat lambs. <laughs> they are going to rip you to shreds. You are going to be weak and defenseless apart from the Holy Spirit. Go out two by two. Have you ever done that? I've done it. It's, it's uh, kind of exciting slash terrifying. You don't know if the person's going to kneel down right there and accept Christ into their heart or beat you up. But Timot or Thomas went. He was part. His commitment to Christ has never been in question. He was one of those who went out two by two and preached it. He, in John chapter 11, Lazarus had died, a good friend of Jesus. And Jesus said, hey, let's go and go to the tomb. Well, that's John 11. John 10 they were trying to kill Jesus. The Jews had picked up stones and ready to work him to death. And now the next chapter, he goes, well, let's go. And it was Thomas, the practical Thomas, who says, well, let's go with him. I'm ready to die for Jesus. I don't call him the doubting Thomas. Then in John chapter 14, it's my favorite. John chapter 14, we're getting close to the crucifixion. And Jesus says, you believe in God? Or he says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. That's, that's radical. In my Father's house are many dwelling places, many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would tell you. But I go there to prepare a place for you. And I'm going to come back and receive you to myself that where I am, you will be also a, a, a promise of eternal life with Jesus in heaven. Then he goes, hey, by the way, you know the way that I'm going. Thomas is looking around the room going, am I the only guy who has no idea what he's talking about? This is me in junior high and senior high. Like, it seemed like all the other students were, were really tracking with the teacher. I'm going, huh? So it's like the, the, the practical Thomas asked the question that everybody else was wondering about. He said, wait a minute. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how are we supposed to know the way? He's so practical. So Jesus answered Thomas this. He said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. So if I've lost my way, if I've drifted, Jesus is the way. If I have doubts, if I'm not sure what to do, he, he's the truth. And if I feel I'm feeling dead, he's the life. So he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me. This is one of the most radical things Jesus Christ has ever said because he's saying, you know what? Buddha's not going to help you. The 300 million gods of Hinduism, they're not going to help you. Allah, Muhammad, I'm sorry. They're not going to help you. Only Jesus Christ. What about all the good things I've done? That, no, no, no. Jesus is the only way. So 
Then he comes to the surrender. So Th Thomas is going to have this one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus Christ. And I love this. So after eight days, all right, after eight days after he said, I don't believe that stuff, hocus pocus. Eight days later, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. If I'm Thomas, I'm going, see, you clowns, I told you it didn't happen. It's been eight days. I don't see anybody. You know, just kind of the skeptic now mocking. It's been eight days. He didn't, didn't rise again. So now Jesus came in. The door's being shut, again, locked. He stood in the midst, and he goes, uh, peace to you. And Timothy goes, uh-oh. I just added that. Uh. So you're going, it's not in my Bible. But uh. So then he says to Thomas. So he's one-on-one -on -one with Thomas in front of people. And he goes, uh, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Uh, reach your hand here. Put it in my side. He says, don't be unbelieving, but believing. You know the answer. When he surrendered, he said, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, my Lord and one of the gods of, among many. You're the one. You're the one who was sent by the Father. You're the lover of my soul. You're the one, my Lord and my God. And now Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believed, blessed are those who are gathered in Holly Eva on Easter morning in 2021 and have not seen me but believed. I love that part. I don't know, just... Uh... <laughs> See, you're talking about us. I haven't seen him, but I believe. Now, have you ever been confronted by Jesus Christ? We just talked about Thomas was one-on-one, -on -one, offering undeniable proof. There's several I want to talk about. Just one is uh, the woman at the well in John 4. Maybe you know the story. She went to gather well. Jesus is sitting by this well all by himself, middle of the day. She goes to gather water in the middle of the day. Nobody does that. In India, I've been there a number of times. They go early in the morning and late at night or late in the afternoon in the cool of the day. She's avoiding people. She wants to go there when nobody's there, and Jesus is there. And then he's a Jew. She's a Samaritan, like a half-breed. Bad blood between these two. Bad blood. And so he goes, hey, why don't you give me a, a drink of water? She's shocked. You're, you're going to talk to me, a woman? I mean, one thing, I'm a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And he said, you know, if you knew who you're talking to, you'd ask me for some water, and I'd give you some water, and you'll never thirst again. She goes, oh, give me some of this stuff. I won't have to come out here ever, ever, ever again. So Jesus says, go call your husband, and let's talk. And she goes, oh, I don't have a husband. Well, when dealing with Jesus, you might want to use the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. She's technically correct. I don't have a husband. So Jesus has this word of knowledge. He goes, well, technically, yeah, but uh, you've been married and divorced five times, and right now you're living in sin with somebody else. Or, yeah, you've not been married, or you're not married right now, but let's not play games. She goes, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Yeah, you're going deep all of a sudden. Yeah, he just told you everything in your life. And then she goes, you know, I'm waiting for this Messiah. Everybody keeps talking about him. And I know when he comes, I'm going to change. I'll be different. So Jesus goes, here's his confrontation with this woman. He goes, well, I'm the Messiah. So what are you going to do? 
See, she's basically crying out, Lord, no one takes me seriously. And I've earned this reputation. I've been free. I've been loose. Might call her a party animal. You know, just, ah, uncomfortably loose. And she said, because of my reputation, they don't think I have a spiritual bone in my body. But even though I've, I've sinned, and my, my life reeks of sin, I, I still have this hunger and a thirst for real righteousness and truth. Jesus, do you know anything about this? Because if I bring this up in my village, they'll laugh at me. And Jesus took her seriously. She was confronted by Christ. She gave her life to Christ. She won over her entire village that day. Another guy is on the other extreme where the woman at the well was pretty loose. Nicodemus was as straight as you get. He's in the Sanhedrin. He's one of the top 70 guys in the Jewish nation. Where she was so loose, you can guarantee he was a virgin until his wedding night. He'd been in church his whole life. He's squeaky clean. He's a man of stature. He's a man of respect, but he's also empty inside. So he goes to Jesus one night. He doesn't want anybody to see. Hey, so Jesus, it's obvious you're from God. I mean, nobody could do what you do if there weren't for God. You know what Jesus said? You must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. Did you ever know that? Did you know that Jesus said that? See, I, I was 17 years old before I ever heard that. I was in church my whole life, an altar boy in Catholic school, and blah, blah, blah. I never, no one ever told me, you must, ultimatum, you must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. So I thought going to church was good enough and giving some money occasionally and doing some, you know, good things. And no, you must be born again to even see the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and he's going, oh, how do I do that? says, well, you need to be born again spiritually. Oh, before I get to Martha. Uh, oh, let, let's get to Martha. So Nicodemus has an encounter with Jesus Christ. He wins him over. So the, the third one, the last one, is, is Martha. The sister of Lazarus. Remember, he died. So she's a believer, but a complainer. She's basically, Jesus shows up four days after the, his, her brother died. And she goes up to him and says, you know, Lord, your timing is lousy. Do you ever have that? Or maybe you've heard someone who just basically what they're saying is, you know, if I was in control of this world, I'd do a lot better job than God. Jesus, if you were here, my brother would not have died. Your timing is lousy. You know, aren't you thinking, of, aren't you sympathetic of me? And Jesus said this, I'm the resurrection and the life. This is shared at so many funerals, and rightly so. Because the resurrection proves life does not end at the grave. It has a transition. I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, although he may die, he shall live. And whoever believe, or lives and believes in me shall never die. So what is he saying? Watch this. Your body does not have a soul. You know, yes, it does. It's the other way around. Your soul has a body. Your body's, the Bible actually calls it a tent, and it wears out, and mine's probably wearing out faster than yours. And there comes a time when you go, I'm ready. And so, but the soul, that eternal part that, that uh, or the part that will live forever inside of me, that's the real me. It's going to get rid of this body because it's just temporary, and it'll pour, put on an eternal body, whether with the Lord in heaven 
or with those who rejected him in hell. So it's not that your body has a soul. It's your soul has the body. But then he tells Martha, or he asks, do you believe this? Do you believe on the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that even if you die, if you trust me, you're going to live? Your soul is going to live with me forever. So have you ever been confronted by Jesus Christ? We just talked of a, a woman who was loose, a man who was extremely tight and churchgoer all his life, both empty. Then we talk about a, a one who's in between. She's a believer but has lots of complaints. Have you been confronted by Jesus Christ? What would it take? I, I think for some, it's, it's a matter of mathematics. And, and let me explain. There's over 300 prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled. Pinpoint prophecies. Astronomically impossible, basically, for someone to fulfill even a handful of them. So prophet, prophecies like he was born in Bethlehem. Back then, if you're someone special, you want to be born in Jerusalem, the happening city. No, just south of there, about 7,000 village of 7,000. Yeah, hey, that's where he's going to be born. Okay? But then he's going to move to Egypt and eventually end up in Nazareth. Now, now there's three geographical locations already that if he never moved to Nazareth, he's not the Messiah. Ultimately, he's sold for 30 pieces of silver by, by Judas Iscariot. Understand, if he was sold for 29 pieces or for 31 pieces, he's not the Messiah. It had to be 30, and this was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. It's like God was writing it down for people and saying, I'm doing this so you can't miss him. And for some, the, the way you have a confrontation with Jesus Christ is seeing all of these prophecies that add up. Not a bone was broken. What was such a big deal about that? It's talking about the crucifixion. And to speed up the death process, they'd come along and break the, bone, the legs of the person crucified so he couldn't breathe and it would speed up the death. They come to Jesus Christ, they didn't break his bones. This is kind of absurd or just abnormal. And then instead, somebody, oh, I'm going to take a spear and pierce him because it says they looked upon him whom they pierced. So uh, there's all these things about Jesus. He died among thieves. He bur buried in a rich man's tomb. They, they cast dice over his clothes. And says, Let's see who gets over 300 million to the point where God's saying, what does it take? Look at all that I've done to point you to Jesus Christ. Any skeptics here today remember this saying, when a man predicts that he's going to die and tells how and when it'll happen, and that'll raise from the dead and when he's going to raise from the dead, and then he does it. It's, it's time to listen to him. So it brings us to our third and last part of the outline, the sent ones. So in John 20, verse 21, Jesus said, As the Father has sent me, I send you. you know, well, how did the Father, what was he sent to do? Uh, he was sent to save, seek and save that which was lost. <laughs> I love this, because I was one of those. Maybe you can relate. Uh, even Adam. When Adam and Eve committed that first sin, you, may, you might know the story. God comes to Adam. Hey, where are you? God knows where Adam is. He wants to know, Adam, do you know where you are? Hey, bro, are you lost? So, because the first thing you need to do is, yeah, I'm lost. You came to seek and save that was lost. See, it's a blessing to understand I've drifted. It's a blessing to understand I'm lost. It's 
there's got to be more that God has for me than what I'm experiencing right now. And so here's Thomas. He's on his way to heaven, right? He's a skeptic. He surrendered, my Lord and my God. Now he has the cure, not for cancer, but for sin. I'm assuming some of you here are cancer uh, patients or survivors like me. And, and if you had the cancer cure and you didn't share it with anybody, what would that make you? Like the shallowest, the selfish, most selfish person on earth? I mean, if you got the, and so many people are dying from, from cancer, if you got the cure, share it. He's got the cure for sin. See how that works? Because, man, people are dying, they're going to hell. They're living lives of sin and, and slavery, and I, I have a, the way to set them free in Jesus Christ. Don't you want to point them to that? On Friday night, Akira was sharing about one time he was in church, and the guy up front said, listen, if you want prayer to become more bold, come on up. And he said, it's like the Holy Spirit just grabbed him by the shirt and pulled him up there. Because you know what? If you're a Christian, you've got the cure to sin. Maybe you could use a, a Holy Spirit dose of power and boldness to share it. So here's Thomas. I got the, the cure to sin. I'm going to heaven. And by the way, I want to take as many with me as possible. I don't know about you, but when I go to heaven, I want to hear people go, hey, Mike, thanks for sharing that. Because of that, because you pointed me to Jesus Christ, I'm here in heaven. Don't you want to hear that? I mean, come on. I mean, for all of eternity, you're going to be part of their testimony. I want to hear that. I want it for you, too, to where God gives you Holy Spirit boldness to where you realize, I have the cure for sin, and I'm going to share it. So the believing Thomas goes to India. I'm assuming you probably know this. He lands in Kerala on the west southwest side, the state of Kerala, a beautiful state. Plants the first of seven churches there. Goes over to uh, Tamil Nadu, where it's now called Chennai. Once was called Madras. And he was martyred there on the Mount St. Thomas. I've been to one of his churches over there. I've been to where, he's died, where he died. Now, you go, okay, what did Thomas say? What, what in the world that was that they would kill him over that? So here's the thing. Oh, Maybe this, he preached about the social injustice be between the Brahmins and, and the uh, Dalits. You know, listen, social injustice is a big buzz phrase right now, and I think we're all disgusted with social injustice. I'm all for being fair with blacks and whites and white, you know, men and women and Russians and Jews. I mean, it, I, I think it's a, it's a buzzword for all of us. But if he went there to preach against the Dalits and the Brahmins, are you kidding? See, Brahmins... It's like they're half, just a step below God. Dalits are called the untouchable. They had like the step below the devil. And the word was, if a Dalit brushed against a Brahmin, he could be killed. So you think, oh, well, let's just go preach about social injustice. I don't think so because there's a bigger issue. See, you can attain perfect social justice and still go to hell because there's a bigger issue in life than being fair. It's being right with God. So did he share the claims? I'm going to share on the claims of Jesus and the promises. See where you fit. The claims of Jesus, he says, I'm God. John chapter 10. 
I alluded to it earlier. They go, the Jews picked up stones. They're going to stone them to, to death. He goes, okay, I've done a lot of good things, so which one are you going to stone me for? And they said, no, we're not going to stone you to death for being, do, doing good. But because you, being a man, and in the Greek it says, you are continually making yourself out to be equal with God. For if I did that, that would be blasphemous. But for Jesus, it was true. He's God. Born of the Virgin Mary. Then he goes, well, we're sinners. <laughs> Every one of us just lumps us into saying, okay, we're all sinners. Some have sinned more than others, but we've all sinned against a holy God. Maybe he shared that first recorded word of the first recorded sermon of Jesus Christ. Do you know what it is? It's a lot like John the Baptist said. His first recorded word, first recorded sermon was repent. You know, that's not a bad word. It's a good word. It's inviting people, you strayed. You're lost. Get right with God. Are, are you annoyed by people that, you know, you're trying to share, you're trying to love with them, love on them, and, and tell them, dude, your, your lifestyle is not matching up with what the, what the Bible is asking you to do. It, it's wrong. And they go, oh, you're judging me. Can we get beyond that? Because I'm loving you enough to tell you the truth. Because if you're hanging on to a lie and deception and die, you're ending up in the wrong place. So when people go, oh, you're, that's a matter, that's sin. I'm not sure that's sin anymore. It's a matter of interpretation. Is the word repent a matter of interpretation? I don't think so. I think it's very clear. I'm wrong. God's right. He says, make a U-turn. Get right with God. It's a great word. It's an invite to get right with him. Jesus, his claims went on to say, everyone here is going to rise from the dead. Nobody escapes. There's no going to smithereens or into the atmosphere or one with the universe. Who, where did that come from? He said, when you die, okay, this gets pretty hairy. You're going to face Jesus in judgment. I suggest you get him to know now, this side of the grave, because the other side of the grave, it's too late. So he says, uh, you'll face Jesus Christ. This is his claim, or one of his claims, and, and you'll, you'll face him in judgment. Now, here's what he shared in John chapter 8, verse 24. If you don't believe that I am he, if you don't believe I'm the Messiah, the one sent from God the Father, the lover of your soul, the sacrifice for your sins, you will die in your, and I've underlined it, sins. You'll die in your sins. So you'll, okay, wait, wait. What is sin? This would be important. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says, sin is lawlessness. Now, there's two ways to, to look at that. The first is, well, lawlessness, God has no laws. He just made me and said, go do whatever you want. That doesn't work. Another way to look at it is, well, it's living as if God's laws don't apply to me. I'm special. God knows my heart. That's a terrifying thought, by the way. He knows my heart. So here you go. Uh, here's an illustration. Every soccer field has its rules before you play the game. Every basketball court, football game, it's all before you even get there. It's predetermined. This is, here's the lines. This is inbounds. That is outbounds for everybody. It's wrong for me to go, that might be out of bounds for you, but it's not out of bounds for me. It doesn't work that way. It's out of bounds for everybody. Sin is lawlessness. Thinking God has no laws or his laws don't apply to me. 
Here's an example from current society. Adultery. I believe it's wrong. I believe it's breaking the marriage vow. I'm going to try and get my, my sorry. Ah, uh, the bug is stuck. It worked at one time. <laughs> you been there too? Okay. Just, anybody got butter? <laughs> you get the idea. The whole thing is, I love this part of the ceremony. With this ring, I thee wed. That's about as Elizabethan as I get. I pledge to you my honor, my devotion, my love. You know what that means? From now on, I'm not, I'm not going to flirt with other girls. I pledge to you my honor. I'm not going to be kissing on them or trying to, you know, enter temptation. Or I, I, it's you. It's you alone. Adultery breaks that. Adultery says, no, it's more like the old song. If you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. That's a great tune. It's a lousy lifestyle. And it ruins families and, and it hurts people and, and it's just bad. I, I think adultery is wrong. Matter of fact, the Bible says it's a sexual sin and it will be judged. It's not the only sexual sin listed in the Bible. You'd be good to find out the rest. I always say, I didn't write the Bible and I'm not going to rewrite the Bible. So the Bible says, okay, one of the sexual sins is adultery. It will be judged. But now Hollywood, let's just for argument's sake, Hollywood says, no, it's okay. I, I'm not saying everyone in Hollywood is an adulterer. But their movies are basically, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. So let's just, for argument's sake, it's, it's okay. You know what's interesting? Jesus, when he came and did the uh, Sermon on the Mount, to explain what's really going on, he goes, you know, you think just because you didn't jump in bed with somebody, you never committed adultery? It's a heart issue. If you've lusted in your heart, you're guilty. You're guilty of hellfire is what he'd say. So here it is. Now, Hollywood says it's okay. Now here, I'm your friend. I'm like Thomas. I was a skeptic. Now I've surrendered to him. Now I've got the cure for sin, and I don't want to watch from the sideline and just let you destroy your life and others and kids and all that. I want to share because I love you. And you, you, well, you know, there's other people think it's okay. No, if I really love you, I'll tell you the truth. Dude, get away. That will destroy your life, ruin your family. So, what about the promises of Jesus? Those were the claims. He's God. We're sinners. We need help. Promises. He promises forgiveness, probably the most famous verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You believe in him, you won't go to hell. You'll live with God forever in heaven. A friend of mine in India, many years ago, went to a Billy Graham con uh, outreach. And he goes, wow, who is this white guy who traveled thousands of miles? He must have something really important to say. Billy Graham shared on John 3.16, my friend Sam got saved. So, yeah, he, 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 his promises, he promises forgiveness, but it's by grace alone. It's not that we can work for it. And so you, you think of the thief on the cross, right? That at first, he's a skeptic. At first, he's mocking Jesus. And then he wakes up. He goes, I'm a breath away from eternity. Do I really want to go out mocking Jesus? And so that famous line, oh, Lord, 
Remember me when you get to this paradise you're talking about. Jesus said, today, today you'll be with me in paradise. He never got water baptized. I'm sure if he had time, he could have crawled down and from the cross. And the he didn't go to church, though I think it's a good thing to do. He didn't give money. He didn't help where it was needed. He was despicable, worthy of capital punishment and receiving the due process of his crime. And Jesus said, today, because it's by grace. It's by grace. It's not, oh, I think I'm good enough. I lived a good life. You love Jesus is what it comes down to. He promises abundant life. This is a quality of life, not just abundance of possessions. Wouldn't you rather have abundance of joy? Abundance of hope? He, he, he says, fullness of joy. He says, I'll give you peace. He said, my peace I give to you. It's not like the world gives. He says, I'll give it to you. These are the, the promises of Christ. Eternal life with him in heaven. Now, here's the deal. Let's back up. Do you ever feel you're not experiencing all God has for you? I mean, several times in your lifetime, right? Here's one with Jesus. Here's what gets me. In John chapter 7, he says, you know, if you come unto me, I'll give you living water. And out of your innermost being shall gush forth rivers of living water. It's not something you rehearse in front of a mirror. It's some, not something you psych yourself. It's something God does in your heart. So you look at yourself, ask your kids, ask your spouse, your co-workers, your, your fellow students, hey, when you see me, do I have living water gushing out of my heart? They might say, you got something gushing out. I don't know if it's living or not. This is what Jesus offers. This is a promise. When you come to him and you stay right with him and you abide in him and you grow in him, there's this living water that comes out of your heart. Okay, Thomas did us a favor. I'm closing here. If you had died last night, right now you'd be in one of two places. You would be in eternity, ready or not. I want to see you in in heaven. I love going up to people and saying, I, when I die, I'm going to heaven only because of Jesus Christ. And when I get there, I want to see you because heaven wouldn't be the same without you. It's so true. So do you feel like you're experiencing all God has for you? That's kind of been re repetitive, right? You ever had a personal confrontation with Christ? We, we talked about the woman who was loosey-goosey, really. Amen. I've done it all. We talked about the guy, Nicodemus, who was straight and narrow, churchgoer, leader, but empty. We talked about Martha in between, just, man, finding fault, God, with everything you're doing. What's this COVID-19 thing going on? And you ever had that personal encounter? Have you ever surrendered to him? We just go, maybe that's why you're here today. Just, it's time. It's time to surrender to him. He has a gift for you. Now, the gift of Christmas, it's pretty interesting. It's similar. At Christmas, say someone very close to you just gave you a great gift, and you think, oh, man, this is the, this is the book I've been waiting for. You know, I, I just love, okay, I'm going to open this book, and it's a book on how you can lose weight. And you go, well, it's kind of embarrassing. I don't need that. Uh, somebody thinks you do. Okay. You go, well, how embarrassing. They're giving me a gift, but it's some, I don't think I need it. 
Here's God's gift for you. It's a gift on, of forgiveness of sin. That's embarrassing. Obviously, God thinks you need it. And you can say, I don't need that. Yes, we all need it. That's one thing we definitely all have in common. So when Jesus prayed, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. You know what he's saying? If Mike Stangle, that's me, can crawl ac across broken glass, broken glass on his knees and end up in heaven, I don't want to go to the cross. If Mike Stangle can give away a ton of money and go to heaven, I don't want to. If Mike Stangle, be careful on this, helps the flood victims in Haleiwa, which I think our community, I am so stoked to be part of this community. How you guys rose to the occasion and we're neighbors and we love each other. I just thought it was awesome. But it's not going to get you to heaven. And I say that, I'm walking on shaky ground. It, 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 it's, we would love to say, oh, I did this one thing. I, I got baptized. So now I'm going to heaven. I raised my hand in church. So now I'm going to heaven. I, I gave a lot of, no, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus alone. He goes, Father, if there's any other way, I don't want to go to the cross. If they can do it on their own, but there's no other way. Only Jesus is what we call substitutionary death. He died for my sins instead of me. I place my guilt onto him. He pays for it. He says it is finished, an accounting term, paid in full, and I'm free. I'm forgiven. See, it's like when we're trying to do it on our own. The Bible goes, we've all sinned, we've fallen short. It's a great term. It's talking about, say we want to go swimming. And right after this, we're all going down to Elise. And we're going to have a swim contest. Say, okay, we're going to go half mile to that red buoy. Well, some of us would be calling 911 at that point. Some would say, okay, let's go to Kauai. It's only 90 miles away. I don't think anybody's going to make it. But the ultimate is, let's swim to Japan. See, even if you're trying, you're going to fall short. That's the whole idea. All we like, we, we've all sinned and gone astray. We've fallen short. We're trying. And, and so that person says, but I, I'm doing a good life. God knows I'm trying. Yeah, but you're falling short. It's less than perfection. And so God sends his helicopter. I love this. Have you guys ever been to Waimea when somebody's getting rescued? I mean, it's classic. It's great. So we were, we've been there. It's like 30. What, you learned? Oh, you were rescued? <laughs> no, no, it's it, because you're there. It's like 30 foot. It's maxed out. It's closing out. And there's this guy who lost his board. He's coming in. He's exhausted. So exhausted. And the waves are pounding him and pounding him. He, he's literally, I don't know if you were there. This is a long time ago. He's trying to climb up Waimea Rock. And they're screaming. We're on the beach. Others are up top. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Get off. You're going to get killed. Those waves will pound you against the rock. Go out in the middle of the ocean. Go get away, which he did. And then the helicopter comes over. The Sunset Beach Fire Department sends their helicopter. And it's so cool. They lower one basket. And he was so thankful there was a way out. He didn't go, um, do you have something in Azure? You know, just... <laughs> Um, you know, kind of orange feeling today. It's just like, no. You don't get to choose. There's one basket. Get in it. And he was rescued. He was saved. God sent one basket. 
his son, Jesus Christ. That's how we get saved. What else did he say? We're closing on this. Ah, this is my least favorite part. Jesus said, okay, we're all going to be resurrected. We're all going to be judged by him. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, many, I don't like that word, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? I mean, it's pretty spectacular. Didn't we do this? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we? I mean, these guys would be on the cover of Life magazine, Time magazine. And, and in the original language, when you repeat a person's name or title, Lord, Lord, it's like, we're in, right? We're good, right? And so here Jesus said, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You never repented of your sin. You thought you were good enough. You allowed yourself to be deceived. You knew what the rules were, what the lines were on the soccer field. You just thought you were different or special. As a pastor, I am terrified with the thought that someone under this tent, chances are, someone would hear on that day, go. What were you thinking? You didn't repent. You put it off. Instead of just saying, no, Lord, now's the time. So it begins with God's Holy Spirit to where he starts, he moves upon my heart. He gives me hope. He, gives, he convicts me of my sins. And he says, now it's time for that one-on-one -on -one confrontation. Now it's time for that surrender. You know, some here, I like what Akira did the other night when he said, the guy up front said, hey, if you want prayer for boldness, mean in this context, meaning you've got the cure for sin, are you keeping it to yourself? Do you give a hoot? Or do you say, oh, well, at least I got my fire insurance? Or do you go, no, wait, wait, I'm here. I want to be a sent one. I want to be sent to my family, to my community, to my, my job, wherever God's put me. And, and so I, I want to ask you, would you like a prayer for boldness? Would you be so bold and say, yeah, I would like that. And I'm going to ask you as they're playing, we're going to pray. You can come, come on up. Pray for boldness. But there's others here who have been confronted with Jesus Christ today. And the Holy Spirit's working on with you one-on-one. -on -one. And it's time. You are not guaranteed to wake up tomorrow morning. It's time to get right with God. One time on an Easter morning, I, I said, you know, somebody here, chances are, won't be with us next year. You're going to die. I wasn't prophesying. It was common sense. So I did two funerals that year, that next year. One was an older guy. Lived a good life. Good, strong Christian. Wasn't a big surprise he had cancer. The other was a two-year-old boy. Kill me. Just, you never know. I think right now, today, the Holy Spirit is confronting you with the reality. Jesus is God. We're all sinners. It's time to get right. And so I want to have a prayer for boldness, but also a prayer of surrender. Let's close in prayer right now. Lord, we thank you for the reality, the truth of Easter. Lord, I 
I pray your spirit would go throughout this tent right now. Those watching on TV, that you'd win us over. That right now, this time of confrontation with Jesus Christ, you would win and we'd come home. You know, I was just still praying. You want anyone here want to be prayed for boldness? Because I'm, I'm suspecting a lot of people here are Christians. Could you just raise your hand if you're saying, you know what? I'm down. I'm down. Praise the Lord. There's more. Okay, God bless you guys. May God fill you with boldness. Anyone here this morning you sensing the Holy Spirit saying, yes, today's your day to be forgiven for that confrontation, that surrender to Jesus Christ. Would you like to be forgiven today? Would you love to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning? As we're still praying, is that you? Could you just raise your hand wherever you are and say, yes, could you pray for me too? God bless you guys. God bless you guys. We love you guys. But there's more. There's more. God's right right now. He's saying, this might be your last Easter. It's time to get right. Okay, yeah, I'm not... I want to do something different. As these guys do a song, if you raise your hand or you wish you did, and you want prayer, could you just come on up here? Jesus called people publicly. Just come on up here as we sing. God bless you, bro. Who else? God bless you, ma'am. God bless you.